I think you're muted. Yeah, can you hear me now? I can, yes. Awesome. Okay, so I think we are good to go. So I'm just making sure everything is good on my end. And okay, here we go. I'm going to cut that first bit out. But here we go. Hey, everyone. Thank you for joining here in Apologetics. Super pumped to join us today. We have Dr. Ken Samples. We're talking about Christianity and the Christian life and the mind and things like that. So, Ken, thank you for joining me. How are you today? I'm doing very well, Zach. Thank you for having me on your program again. It's good to see you. It's good to see you too. So today we're talking about like the life of the mind and like the importance of like intellectual rigor and things like that for Christians. So to start off, uh, this whole thing kind of started with like Dennis Prager and a comment he made. So can you talk a little bit about like that comment and what got you thinking about like this topic? Yeah, Dennis Prager, if, if you're not familiar with him, he is a Jewish talk show host uh, out of Los Angeles. Uh, he's a he is an intellectual uh, representative, uh, talks a lot about politics and, and religion. He is a religious Jew. I've been on his program a couple times over the years. Uh, in 1990, he made uh, a comment. Let me read just a brief part of it. Uh, he says, one thing I noticed about evangelicals is that they do not read. They do not read the Bible. They do not read the great Christian thinkers. They've never heard of Aquinas. If they're Presbyterian, they've never read the founders of Presbyterianism. I do not understand that. And he goes on to say, I have bookcases of Christian books and I'm a Jew. Why do I have more Christian books than 98% of Christians in America? This is so bizarre to me. Um, you know, I have for a long time, Zach, thought that uh, there are parts of Christianity, parts of evangelicalism, if you will, that... Uh, probably are a bit anti-intellectual. That is, uh, I think that Prager is talking about uh, a segment of evangelicalism. Now, again, it's a 1990 quote. I know since that time he has interacted with a lot of very well-educated, very thoughtful evangelicals, so he might alter that. But uh, what I thought was really interesting about the quote, Zach, is this, that from a Jewish point of view, all learning is rooted in reverence for God. If you look at, if you look at the wisdom literature of the Old Testament, whether it would be Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, um, knowledge comes from uh, the fear of the Lord, and that is so pervasive in Judaism. I mean, most Jews today are skeptical; are skeptical. They're uh, secular, and yet they. The Jewish community worldwide only makes up about 16 million people, but they have some of the highest rates of education, uh, some of the best scientists, some of the best lawyers, some of the best philosophers. Why is that? I think even for skeptical Jews, it's rooted in their tradition. Now, I think something similar could be said about Christians, but there is, I think, some element within evangelicalism that you know, there is kind of the view, I think, that some Christians think if I'm if I'm too learned, if I'm too bookish, if I'm too uh, into head knowledge, then I can't really be a, you know, have really a, a committed heart toward God. And, and so that concerns me a little bit uh, in answering your question. 
Mm, yeah, that's super helpful. So thanks, Ken. So one of the things you talk about here is this idea of like the life of a mind. And I think this is something I agree with you is like a super important idea is that Christians like should be reading and thinking about like a lot of important topics. So what do you mean when you're talking about like the life of the mind and how that like looks for like the Christian and thinking about important questions? Yeah, well, I think the life of the mind really comes out of being made in the image of God. I mean, in science today, even among secular scientists, there's lots of discussion that human beings are not different from the animals merely in degree, but in kind. We call that human exceptionalism. I think a part of that human exceptionalism from a biblical point of view, from a Christian point of view, is rooted in us being made in the image of God. Now, it could mean many things, but I think it at least includes the idea that we have rational capacities, that we're able to we're able to speak, we're able to read, we're able to think, we're able to write. We can do science, we can do philosophy, we can engage in technology. Now, what does that look like for most people? Well, I think the life of the mind would include the idea that since we are intellectual creatures, that we would have an intellectual life, a life of thought, a life of reading, a life of study, that uh, we would pursue not just moral principles as Christians, but we would pursue intellectual virtues uh, as well. And so for me, in my own life, it means on a daily basis, I try to learn. Uh, in fact, maybe a, maybe a really good way of describing it is what I would call lifelong learning. You know, uh, I used to think, well, I really need to get my bachelor's degree, and then I need to get my master's degree. Uh, well, I would say probably the most important learning is just being a lifelong learner. And you know what, Zach? I've learned a lot more in my own personal reading than I ever did in the classroom. Hmm. I think it's super helpful. And books are a great resource because you don't need to get like a degree to read books. Um, it may help you understand some things, but like you can go and get books and read about really anything you want right now. Um, it's amazing what we have. So I'm curious, Ken, like for you, like what does a day in the life look like in terms of like how much are you reading? When are you reading? Because um, I think it might be helpful for people thinking about like what it means to be like about all about this. Yeah, thank you for asking that question. You know, when I was a young man, uh, I I was really into sports. I wanted to be a professional baseball player, and I think in high school, uh, probably that dream started when I was in junior high school. But I wasn't a great student. I was interested in playing sports. I was interested in being an athlete. So I was just kind of an average student. You know, I just. Did enough to get by is usually what my teachers would say. But when I became a, a dedicated Christian uh, in my early years of college, about 20 years old, as a sophomore in college, I became a Christian. I had grown up kind of nominally Catholic, but at, at that age, I took my faith seriously. And I realized very quickly, Zach, that I needed to hit the books. Uh, I was interested in philosophy. I was interested in apologetics. I was interested in theology, in science, etc. And I realized I needed to make up some ground. And I came up with the approach that I would read three hours a day. Now, that was my goal. I didn't always make it. But I, I dedicated myself to trying to read three hours a day. Now, reading at night wasn't really helpful because I was tired. So I'd get mm -hmm. up at five in the morning and I would read. In college? In, in college. And I did this for 20 years. Mm -hmm. uh, again, there were many days I, I couldn't do it or I didn't fulfill it. But my goal was to read three hours a day. I'd get up at 5 a.m. I'd read until eight. Then I'd go to work or I'd go to school 
and I did it for 20 years. Uh, mm-hmm. Now, my life is different now. I have a job where I actually uh, am involved in scholarship, giving talks, engaging in dialogue, debates, writing books. So uh, pretty much my job is to think and to read and to study and to, and to write. But I have to tell you, Zach, um, I think if you measured where I was when I started that reading program to where I was when I ended it, I think my understanding of issues went up exponentially. Mm-hmm. I, I, I had a, so much of a, a better understanding of things with that kind of commitment to, to reading. And again, I mean, one of the things that makes us who we are as human beings is this idea that, you know, we can, we can use symbolic language and, you know, to think you need language, uh, you need to be able to read, you need to be able to think, you need to be able to listen. Um, one of the great books that helped me was How to Read a Book by Mortimer Adler. That book just revolutionized my mind. Now, again, I am an exception. I mean, I'm a bookish person. I've got a library of about 5,000 books. Uh, you know, I read hours a day. Um, I, I admit that I'm I'm a bookish kind of individual. But you know what? You don't have to you don't have to set that kind of goal. But what but what if you what if you committed uh, 30 minutes to an hour, you know, three or four days a week where mm-hmm. you're going to read some really challenging material, not not just, you know, not just magazines, not things that make you comfortable, but maybe read one of the Christian classics or, you know, incorporate your Bible reading into this. I, I think reading is the most important discipline for whatever you want to pursue. Mm. That's super helpful. And I found that like in my own life, Ken. So like I started like a couple years ago, really starting to read. So like I'll spend like 30 minutes, not as three hours, but like 30 minutes in the morning. I finish, I start my day reading and that's usually like more like Christian, like devotional or like classics. Um, it's like reading like City of God by Augustine right now, reading the Bible. And then in the evening, like 30 minutes to an hour, depending on how much work I have, um, just like reading, like whether it's like philosophy or like just like random books or things like that and it's super helpful and it like it organ it provides structure to your life like for me like it provides a really good structure to like start my day like reading and thinking and close my day reading and thinking um and i just find it really helpful so i just wanted to emphasize like finding your own kind of routine and the importance of reading like it can be done you just have to kind of like make the time for it you know here's an interesting idea there was a book that came out a number of years ago that that talked about what they call the ten thousand hour principle Essentially, the idea was that if you do something in a very disciplined, dedicated matter for 10,000 hours, you'll become a specialist on it. Um, You know what? I did that. I spent 10,000 hours reading and it transformed my intellectual life. Now, again, that's all that is to say that if you devote yourself And, you know, you and I are both Christians. You have Christians listening to your audience. You know, if we have discipline in our in our reading of Scripture, if we have discipline in reading books that challenge us, I mean, one of the mistakes people make is they read books that are too easy. Adler says, read books that are over your head, read books that challenge you, read books where you're like, well, I'm not sure I understand all of that. I mean, I recommend books to people all the time and they come back to me and say, oh, Professor Samples, it was 
it was too difficult. It was over my head. And I say, mm -hmm. good, good. You're being challenged. You're, you're forcing that computer, which is between your, your ears to work. And, mm -hmm. and you can derive many, many benefits from that. I'm reading Augustine City of God right now. And it's a challenge for me. Like there's some parts where I'm like, okay, I'm tracking with you, Augustine. I like it. But like right now I'm in like kind of like towards like the middle of it where he's talking about like, um, like reading the genealogies and like the early like patriarchs in Genesis. And I'm like, I think I know what he's saying. But like, do I actually? Oh, gosh, only God knows. Um, and Augustine knows. So it's a challenge, but it's good. I like how you're just saying like reading over your head. Um, it's really helpful. Yeah. So I'd be curious then, Ken, maybe we could talk about like, what's the benefits? Like, so for the Christian um, who's thinking about like reading, like what is the benefit of reading and like expanding your mind and like challenging yourself with like various books? Yeah, well, you know, lots of evangelical Christians are are usually pretty good at recognizing what I would call moral virtues. You know, the second five of the Ten Commandments, be faithful to your spouse, uh, be honest, don't steal, don't lie. Um you know, those are those are what we call moral virtues, and and that's part of the Christian life. That's part of being a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. And of course, none of us do it perfectly. Uh, that's why we need a Savior. That's why we have Christ, who who uh, forgives our sin through His sacrifice on the cross. But there's another type of virtue that I think evangelical Christians are sometimes less aware of, and those are what I would call intellectual virtues. I'll give you a couple of examples. Mm -hmm. uh, in First John, John says, "Don't believe things too quickly. Don't don't accept things too quickly. Why? Because there are many false doctrines that have gone out into the world. Be careful in your thinking. Maybe the the biblical word there would be discernment. So reading uh, the intellectual virtue of being discerning. Here's another one." Uh, in, in the book of Acts, it says the Bereans were more noble than the Thessalonians. How is that possible? Why, would, why were the Bereans more noble than the Thessalonians? Well, because the Bereans heard Paul preaching about Jesus in the context of the Old Testament, and they opened the Hebrew Bible. There wasn't a New Testament at that time. They opened their Hebrew Bible, what today we would call the Torah, the, the law, or the Tanakh, the Old Testament. And it, and it said that the Bereans were noble because they were checking sources. They were careful. First uh, Thessalonians 5.21, the Apostle Paul says, test all things. Now, the context of that is prophets. There were, early, there were prophets in the early church, but that principle could probably be generally applied. Test all things and hold on to the good. I think Christians can greatly benefit from a, the life of the mind, uh, because our mind is important in living the Christian life and affirming the Christian worldview. Again, here's another example. Romans chapter 12, Paul says, you know, don't, don't allow the modern uh, zeitgeist, don't allow the spirit of the age to control you, but be renewed by, by the word of God. I think there are great benefits being discerning, being reflective. Uh, and I think a part of loving God is loving him with your mind. And, you know, it's uh, evangelical Christians are usually feelers, and I like feelers. I don't want to go to a church where people are cold, cerebral, don't, don't engage in very practical, caring practices. But we can love God with our 
with our feelings and we can love God with our mind. And, mm -hmm. and Jesus says, love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, mind, soul, and strength. I think it's helpful to think about like in different contexts, like there's gonna be different things. So like, for example, today I was talking with some, some people and um, they weren't necessarily believers, but they're like talking about like, well, like, you know, like, does God exist? Like things like this. And I don't need to like break out like my, my like brand new, like contingency argument that I've been thinking about to talk about these things. You can simplify these things. Um, and there's different contexts and like, there still is that value then for me of like studying, like potentially like the highest level stuff, but it doesn't have to be applied to every content. So I like what you say here, Ken, like you don't have to be, I think sometimes people think that like, oh, I'm only like this like super scholarly person. So I can't like, I don't have to worry about like that little stuff. Or maybe if you're just like super like popular level, like you're like, okay, well, I don't have to worry about all that scholarly stuff. Like, I like what you're saying because it's like you can do both. Like there's no problem. Um, every person here that listens is like valued and multi-talented. You can do this. So like what's stopping you from just trying to do as much as you can? It, it reminds me of C.S. Lewis. Uh, I think C.S. Lewis was a genius. Um, you know, he said that he could he could virtually remember everything he ever read. Now, Lewis uh, was, of course, a, a British soldier in World War One. He was wounded in World War Two. Uh, the British, the British asked him if he would go to the RAF bases and talk to the crew. These were young men that were flying in the airplanes, the, that were bombing Germany, etc., or fighters that were uh, engaging uh, the Luftwaffe, which was the German Air Force. Well, when Lewis went to these bases, he realized, you know, a lot of these young men, they're not well educated. So I can't use my Oxford speak. I have to break things down. And Lewis ultimately said that maybe the maybe maybe a real intellectual accomplishment is when you can take substantive issues but talk about them clearly and simply. Um, and and I think that's the case. I mean, I I study philosophy, I study theology, I go to conferences. Lots of times theologians, philosophers, apologists, they use lots of jargon. Probably if lay people are in the audience, they'd be scratching their head saying, what in the world is he talking about? But you know what? I, I listened to C.S. Lewis and I realized that I want to, I want to grasp these, these significant and substantive intellectual issues, but I want to be able to communicate them as clearly, carefully, and simply as I can, because I want to reach as many people I, as I can with my message about the truth of the faith. Mm, that's super helpful. And Lewis is really great at that because you can tell like when you're reading him or listening to him, like um, or, like listening to like his audiobooks or whatnot. But like you can tell like he has this like super high level rigor, but he's a great way of like communicating it and like finding different ways. So for example, like Narnia, um, it's a story, but it's like conveying like Christian imagery. It's so, like finding different ways. Like you don't have to just like if you're talking about like why you think God exists, you don't just have to like break it down into arguments. You can connect it to like things in the world and things like that. And I think Lewis is a great job of communicating like how you can make these connections to help people understand things. Yeah, absolutely. Awesome. So one thing maybe then to talk about Ken is maybe like the value of like, where does the life of the mind play and like the importance of like the Christian life? Is it the most important thing or what are we missing here? Well, I, I don't know that it's the most important thing. I think the most important thing is coming to know the Lord Jesus Christ uh, recognizing that his life, his death, and his resurrection is what reconciles us to God. Um, I, but I do think that Christianity involves challenging truth claims. I mean, we think about the Trinity. 
uh, one God. God is one in essence, but three in personhood. We talk about the incarnation where Jesus is a single person, but he has both the divine and human natures. So there he's one person in two natures. So these are challenging doctrines to understand. Uh, there's obviously mystery involved. God is infinite and eternal. We as human beings are temporal and finite. So we're never going to comprehend God as the members of the Trinity understand each other. But I think that when we grow in our capacity to think carefully, to think critically, uh, when we think in an ordered way, that's what Aristotle said logic does. Logic, logic doesn't teach you to think. The good Lord took care of that. He made us in his image so we can think. What logic can do, what study can do, is it'll help you think in more orderly patterns, be more disciplined. And again, I would come back to the idea that, you know, even if you're not a deeply bookish person, I mean, there are a lot of challenges to our faith. I mean, Jehovah's Witnesses and Mormons knock on our door and they want to give you the God of their perspective. Or, you know, you go out to the university and uh, you have many worldviews. I mean, uh, you know, Zach, 50 or 60 years ago, if I wanted to talk with a Hindu or a, a Buddhist or a Muslim, I'd have to go overseas. All of that has changed. America is a very diverse nation in terms of not only ethnicities, but religions. And then think of the Internet. I mean, you're a young man. Your whole life you've lived in the context of open up your computer and it can take you around the world. I think Christians need to think carefully. They need to think critically. And of course, if you have children, you want to educate your children. You want to teach them the faith. You want to help them to, to recognize uh, what we believe and how what we believe is different from others. I think all of this is the gift of the mind. And I think, again, when Prager says that in the Jewish community, the expectation is God has given you a mind and he expects you to use it, um, I think we need that rediscovery. Now, early on, I think Christians were very much people of the book. Uh, there were lots of early manuscripts. You mentioned Augustine. He is the most prolific author in the ancient world, uh, gr Greek or Latin. He outwrote everybody else. Uh, and, and again, that idea is that... Um, he he was able, and you're reading that very book, In the City of God, he was able to critique that Greco-Roman worldview. Why? Because he knew it. He had an intimate knowledge of it. So I think we need to communicate to people, and whether they're educated or laypersons, and share with them that part of loving the Lord and serving the Lord should involve a commitment to the mind. It's e I think it's easier than a lot of people think it is because like, so one, you can read, but two, like in your conversations with like, maybe like other people that maybe they're believers, maybe we're not just ask questions like why um, I found this to be like super helpful. Just thinking about like, well, uh, this is something believable. Like, why do you believe that? Or why do you think that? Or like, what do you think? Like, what are you doing here? Um, and I found these questions to be super helpful because it helps you like live out that sense. Like you can like live out and like think about like what you're reading and kind of bring it into like your conversations when you ask questions, like the why questions. So I found that super helpful. Hey, Thomas Aquinas said, the greatest pleasure in life is comprehending truth. And, you know, if if we're made in the image of God and we have these faculties, I mean, I mean, to me, 
one of the great things about reading and learning is that I feel like uh, I feel satisfied. I feel that I'm doing something that is very important. And as Christians, we believe that truth is sacred because God is tr- God is ultimate truth. Jesus mm. is the way, the truth, and the life. I hope that both Jews and Christians can recognize that we do come out of a bookish background and that learning is a natural part of our faith. Mm. Yeah, I like that. Thanks a lot, Ken. Because I think like truth is beautiful. And like if God exists and if God really exists, like everything that exists is in a some sense like derivative from him. Um, how we, however we spell that out is, you know, the question, but like, like never, like whenever you learn something, you're learning something that God is like created or allowed to exist or something like that. There's something beautiful to that. Like every time you learn something, you know, a little bit more about the world that God's created. So, yeah. Yeah. So I'd be curious then, can maybe like for our last part, just talking about, like you talked about having like 5,000 books and you're always like reading and reflecting. Um, we talked about how like Christians should pursue this. It may not be like the most important thing, but something super valuable. So you talked about when you were younger, like you'd read from like 5 a.m. to 8 a.m. every day learning. What about now? What does it look like for you now? Like what are you reading and thinking about? And like how does that kind of like play out in your own life? Well, um, right now I'm working on a new book. So uh, I'm reading what I think is the what I need to read to prepare for writing that book. Uh, it is a, it's a book on learning, on logic, on critical thinking. So I'm going back to the very best books, I think, on that topic, and I read through them. I take notes. I'm trying to organize the topics that I want to address. Um, But, you know, another thing that is very meaningful for me over the last uh, decade or so, Zach, is I really am trying to read uh, classic books. Now, again, classic books are challenging. Uh, Mortimer Adler, again, one of the great educators of the 20th century, um, author of How to Read a Book, uh, the editor of the Great Books of the Western World. Adler said that that a great book is a book you can never exhaust. You can never get to the end of it. Like Augustine's Confessions, every time I read it, and I've read it dozens of times, every time I read it, there's something new. Uh, or it reminds me of something that's very powerful. Now, of course, the Bible is the greatest of all the great books. I mean, I mean, you never, you could never get to the end of the book of Romans. You could never get to the end of the book of Psalms. They challenge you when you're a young person, middle-aged, when, when you're old. The Bible has a way of doing that. So one of the things that I've been doing, and I, a couple of years ago, I wrote a book uh, entitled Classic Christian Thinkers, where I went through people like Athanasius and Augustine and Anselm, Aquinas, Luther, Calvin, Pascal, Lewis, Irenaeus, and I identified their most important writings, and I read them, and I tried to write a book that would help other people to understand those. So I would say over the last decade, I've tried to spend more time reading classic texts, and of course, that's it's challenging and it takes more time. I can't read quickly through, you know, some of the ancient Roman authors or the ancient Greek authors. Um, but again, I, I want to encourage people because the more you read and the ch- and when you really do read challenging books, you grow. The mind is like a muscle. If you work it, it will grow. It will expand. So a lot of a lot of classic texts have been over the last decade for me in my reading. Mm, that's super helpful. So thanks, Ken. Classics are amazing. I started like 
a year ago, or less than a year ago, saying like, I'm going to read in the evening one book that's at least 100 years old. And it's super helpful because you, you see the world from a different way. Because yeah. if you just read modern books, you kind of like think about the world from like a modern perspective. Yeah. But like if you read like the classics or listen to the classics, I've, like I've been listening to, um, I listen to Beyond Good and Evil by Frederick Nietzsche. And now I'm listening to his book, um, The Antichrist, and or some, it's something like that. And like, yeah. I disagree on Nietzsche on like just about everything. But like yeah. you understand his world a little bit better, like listening to him. Like you, you always hear him, like at least if you follow projects, you hear him talked about all the time. But like when you actually like read him or listen to what he's saying, it just you get a deeper appreciation for what he's doing. So yeah, oh, yeah, it's great. And and look at the technology we have. I mean, I have a bit of a commute in the morning, so mm-hmm. I listen to books on tape. And you know, I've I've worked through a number of books. And again, uh, you know, I'm on the freeway and, and it's slow going, but I'm I'm listening and I'm hearing all of this material. And, and there are so many great books. And I appreciate what you're doing. You're reading from other people who hold a different worldview. Mm-hmm. I mean, Nietzsche is one of the most significant atheists of the 19th century. Uh, there's a lot we can learn about the way other people think and how, how we have common ground and how we have differences. So good for you. Keep up that great reading. Yeah. Thanks. So I'd be curious, maybe what are you reading that maybe like, who are some of your like favorite, like non-Christian authors you've read? Like, especially looking at like questions about like God's existence, like Christianity and stuff, like maybe like atheists or Muslims, like who have you enjoyed reading over your years, Ken? Yeah. I, uh, there's a number of people that I've, I've enjoyed reading. Um, I, for example, I, I enjoyed reading the French existential thinkers like Jean-Paul Sartre, uh, Albert Camus. Um, I've also read some of the uh, German philosophers. Uh, Nietzsche is another person that, that I enjoyed reading. Uh, and I've tried to find some of the more, you know, the most careful secular thinkers uh, a book that I read, and I've read a couple times, uh, the, the Miracle of Theism. Uh, that book is, is it's, it is solid. In, in fact, I would say, Zach, that, the, you know, there is this group of scholars uh, that are called the New Atheist, you know, uh, Dawkins and Hitchens and Harris and uh, others. I think there are other atheists uh, out there that are very powerful. Uh, I, I have always tried to find what I thought are some of the best secular thinkers. Moreover, I've also tried to read some of the works of the other world's religions. I've, I've tried to look at what, what some of the texts are from the leaders of the world's religions. Uh, and so I, I've worked through the Quran. I have uh, worked through, um, uh, you know, Confu- some, some of Confucius's writings, you know, and again, it's challenging. They're coming from a very different worldview. But those are some of the texts that I've uh, tried to give importance to in terms of reading. And, and there are some good philosophers today. Uh, Graham Oppie, very sharp atheist author today, what I would call a leading atheist uh, and of course, some very remarkable Christian authors today, uh, Alvin Plantica, Richard Swinburne, um, you know, the Lord's, the Lord has a church and he has some very gifted people in that church. 
Mm, yeah. And speaking of gifted Christians, gifted atheists, Oppie and um, Kenny Pierce had a debate book came out recently. And I think it's really good because it gets to get like cutting edge stuff with like theism and atheism and all that stuff. Yeah. So, yeah. So I have one question from the audience we'll look at, Kenny, and it's from SlamRN, Susan. It says, um, have you read all the institutes? I'm assuming that's referring to John Calvin's institutes. I have read from the institutes. Uh, I don't know that I've read all the way through them, but uh, in my book, uh, Classic Christian Thinkers, I have a chapter on Calvin, and I describe the institutes, how Calvin went, went about it. But yes, I've spent time reading in the institutes. I've also spent time reading uh, Calvin's commentaries um, his commentaries on the Bible have been very, very influential. And so I've tried to read from both the Institutes and some of his classic commentaries. Awesome. Well, Ken, thank you so much for coming on today. Is there any like last thoughts or things you want to say before we wrap up here? Well, one thing I want to encourage your listeners to support what you're doing, Zach. I like what you're doing. You're, you're a young man. You're, you're a thoughtful person. You have a really good sh show here. I want to encourage people to support it, but I also want to encourage your listeners to, you know, to take on that mantle of, of being a lifelong learner. And if you're a Christian, that you would desire to love God with all you are, you are and that would include that wonderful gift of the mind. Yeah. I'd encourage everyone to read more, set a goal. It's like, for example, like I started using this website called Goodreads a few years ago, yep. and like it keeps track of your books and like it set reading goals and it motivates me. So like, for example, like the past few years, I've done like 52 books, did that. But now I'm like, okay, I want to read more. So I set a goal for 100. And like, it tells you the tracker, like you're on track. Are you behind? Things like that. And it motivates me. I'm like, I need to read more. I need to be thinking more. Um, and it motivates you. So I'd encourage someone, find something like that. Maybe if you're looking for that motivation to read and find that consistent pattern. Um, it's super beautiful and helpful. And yeah, I'd rather you read for 30 minutes than watch me for 30 minutes and not read, honestly. Um, maybe I shouldn't say that, but that's that's the <laughs> truth. So Yeah. Okay, so thank you so much for coming on today, Ken. I appreciate you so much. And yeah, so people can follow you. There's a link down below to your website. And yeah, thank you so much for coming on today. It's been such a great conversation. I've enjoyed it a lot. My pleasure, Zach. Awesome. And thank you to everyone for tuning in. We wish you the best. As always, encourage you to subscribe, leave a like, and all that fun stuff. And we'll see you next time. So have a good one, and God bless. Awesome. I think we're offline. Okay. So. Thank you, Zach. That was great. Yeah. Keep up the good work. You're I I'm so encouraged you're reading the city of God. You're reading you've read Nietzsche. You're doing you're doing due diligence. I think that's great. Thank you. I appreciate it. I'm trying I feel like sometimes I go too fast through those things. Like I'll go through it and I'll be like, sorry, I'm trying to make sure that we're offline because my computer's being weird. Um but like I'm trying. It's hard. Sometimes I'm like, I'm like, did I actually understand anything I just read? Um, but I mean, I think that's kind of normal. So, yeah, it is. It is. And and I hope that quote from Adler, you know, reading books over your head, that's a good thing. It, it means yeah. you're, you're striving. So, hey, keep up the good work. And thanks again for having me on. Thank you. I'm going to shut the broadcast because apparently we're still online. So I'm trying to.